A few years ago, uh, there was a man who was out on a walk, and, and he went to cross a bridge, and as he was crossing the bridge, he saw uh, another man right on the edge of the bridge about ready to jump off, and he realized, this is a dire situation, and I need to step in and do something, and so he yells out, stop, don't do it, and, and the man, kind of taken aback that somebody would, would interrupt what he's about ready to do, turned and said, why not? Why, what do I have to live for? And the man goes, uh, you are loved by God. Are you a religious man? And the man said, yes. And the guy said, oh, me too. Are, are you a Christian? And the man said, yes, I am a Christian. He said, hey, me too. Are, 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 you, are you Catholic or are you Protestant? And the man said, well, I'm, I'm Protestant. And the, and the other guy said, hey, me too. Are you Baptist or are you Methodist? And the guy said, well, I'm, I'm Baptist. And, and the guy said, me too. And, and they're starting to form this little friendship and the man on the bridge is starting to feel a little bit more comfortable and he starts taking a couple of steps back and, and then they kind of continue and he says, now, are you Baptist Church of God or are you Baptist Church of the Lord? And the man said, well, I'm Baptist Church of God. And, and the guy said, hey, me too. Now, now, are you original Baptist Church of God or are you reformed Baptist Church of God? And, and the man said, well, I'm, I'm reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are, are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1879, or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1915? And the guy said, I'm, I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1915. And the guy looked at him and said, die, heretic, and he pushed him off of the bridge to his death. <laughs> um, there are times in life where you just have to laugh to keep from crying, because that is kind of a situation to cry over, right? And, and some of you are in here going, you know, I don't really find that funny because I'm the one who has been pushed off the bridge by someone that I thought was a brother or sister in Christ. There, there are, are, are just these, well, there's this tendency in the church, um, not necessarily our church, I'm saying big church, the capital C church. There's a tendency within the church to make mountains out of molehills. I think it's one of the things that's led to so many denominations and church splits that we see all across our community, all across our, our world. According to a study done by Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary up in Boston, uh, they, they've kind of been tracking these things over through the years. And in the year 1800, there were 500 denominations. Year 1800, there were 500 denominations. So for the first 1800 years of the church, of Christianity, um, it had kind of split and formed 500 different versions of it. That's a lot. But it pales in comparison to where we are today. If you look at that row number 41 and go to the second column uh, from the end, 45,000 denominations in 2014. First 1,800 years of Christianity in the church, 500 denominations. The last 200 plus years, that number has exploded to 45,000 denominations. They're expecting it in the year 2025, that last column, to be 55,000 denominations. Think about that. Today, as we sit here in worship, there are 45,000 separate and unique denominations of churches in the world today. Not religions, denominations. Divisions of the church. It, it's no wonder that, uh, that John in chapter 17 of his gospel records one of the very last things that Jesus does as he is on his way to the cross. One of the very last things that Jesus does is he prays, and, and some of who he prays for are us, future believers, those who would believe in the hope of the gospel that the disciples were going to take. Jesus prays 
for you and for me. And do you know what he prays for us? He prays that we would be united. Because I have a feeling that Jesus knew that, it, that we were gonna find it difficult to get along with one another. <laughs> and so what he prayed for within the church and this movement of Jesus' followers is that he prayed for us to be united. It's no wonder that in Ephesians 4, 3, Paul says to believers to make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Paul is writing to, to this brand new church, first generation believers, and, and, and yet they're already getting into these quarrels enough that he feels like he has to write back to them and say, guys, knock it off, cut it out. Get along with each other. Make every effort to keep the unity through the bond of peace. And with 45,000 denominations, it makes me wonder if we're actually making any effort to keep the unity, let alone every effort. And, and the sad part is that most of our differences that have caused all of these church denominations, that have caused all of these church splits, most of our differences really come down to things that we would say are non-essentials. Non-essentials, meaning that they're gray areas, that, that reasonable minds could look at the same text, could do the same research, and come up with two totally different conclusions. And when you make non-essentials essential for fellowship one, with one another, then it's no wonder that we end up with so many different denominations, so much division between people who are supposed to be united in faith. It's no wonder that so many people outside of the church look inside of the church and say, man, if they can't even get along with themselves, why do I want to be a part of that? I've, I've heard that. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you felt that. Maybe that's where you are today. And the only reason why you're here is because someone drug you here this morning and you're like, yeah, I get this objection to the church. And if that's you, I get it. I get it. It's one of the reasons that I love the restoration movement, the, the churches that we are a part of, that were born out of this desire to, hey, let's just drop denominational ties that divide us, and instead, let's just be known as Christians and Christians only. You know, they're, they're, one of their mottos was, you know, we're Christians, but we understand we're not the only Christians. There are some denominations then and now that teach if you don't believe our exact flavor of Christianity, then you're not really a Christian. They're like, let's just stop labeling ourselves with all of these different denominational ties that, that really distract from the main point of all of this, that we're not Baptist, we're not Methodist, we're not Pentecostal or any of the other 45,000 denominations. Our desire is that instead of being known by the denomination we follow, let's be known and let's make known the Jesus that we follow because he is what is most important. It is Jesus who is the priority. And the rallying cry of the Christian church continues to be in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. And those things that are essential to the faith, we are going to unite around those. And those things that are the gray areas, the non-essentials, there's liberty within the body of Christ to draw conclusions. And in all things, we are going to love one another. We unite around the things we have in common instead of divide because of the things that we don't. We can hold different beliefs about things like spiritual gifts and end times and election and all of that. We can hold on to these different beliefs about non-essential things, and yet we can still worship and serve and reach people for Jesus. And in all of these things, we are going to love one another because Jesus tells us that it is by our love that the world will know 
who we are and whose we are. It's by our love that the world will know and see Jesus in us. There's a military phrase that I think kind of captures well uh, what we're talking about here. The, the phrase is, that is not a hill worth dying on. Uh, Amber and I, as parents, use that quite a bit as we were trying to parse out what's important and what's not as we raise our kids. Uh, we realize that we need to choose our battles wisely because some of them might be too insignificant or too costly. <laughs> And there are some things that just aren't worth the fight or the consequences. You know that. You've experienced that in your relationships. You've experienced that probably in your place of work. We just kind of know that this is, that this is true. And knowing the hills that aren't worth dying on, what that does, when we have a very clear picture of what are the hills not worth dying on, then it begins to elevate the importance of the hills that are worth dying on. Because the truth is, while we don't want to make non-essentials essential, while we don't want to make mountains out of molehills, the truth is that there are some hills worth dying on because they are at the core of who we are and what we believe. Their significant far outweighs the cost and they are worth taking a stand for. And at the core of our faith are hills that we say we are willing to die on. There are central beliefs to our faith and practice that influence our lives and relationships and our church in profound ways. These are essentials of the faith that we say we are going to unite around. These are hills worth dying on. And over the next few weeks, we are going to look at four specific hills. It's not necessarily all of them, but there are four of them that we're going to look at. And we're going to discover why these are hills worth dying on. The very first one, as Tim mentioned, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Central to the Christian faith is that a dead man is now alive. That Jesus was crucified, buried, dead, but now he's alive. The resurrection is not only the most important event in Christianity. I would, I would submit to you this morning that the resurrection is the most important event to ever take place in history. The most important thing that has ever taken place. And so as we launch this new series, we're going to want to start by looking at why the resurrection is a hill worth dying on. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a Bible app on your smartphone that you like to use, go ahead and pull that out. You can turn there as well, um, or you can follow along with the words up on the screen. The resurrection is the thing that launched Christianity into existence. It's the thing that really started the, the church it's the reason why I think that we know anything about Jesus at all and we even have any hope of our salvation. Without a real, actual, historical, bodily resurrection, then the truth is none of this would be possible and quite frankly, none of this would matter. Everything that we believe, everything that we hold on to about our faith and about our salvation all hinges on Jesus' resurrection. It's so important that author and theologian Timothy Keller writes these words, that if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. 
And the resurrection is what separates Jesus from being just another good moral teacher to being Lord. The resurrection is what separates Jesus from being just another criminal, which that's what he was in the minds of the Romans, just another criminal who died on a cross to being our Savior. The resurrection is the dividing line of those things. And so if it didn't happen, then the question is, why bother? But if it did, then everything changes. And Paul draws the same conclusion in our text today, and he shows us that the resurrection is so essential to our faith, and the very first thing that we're going to see is that the resurrection is inseparable from the gospel. The resurrection is inseparable from the gospel. You see, the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and died a sinner's death on our behalf. If that's all that we preach, then we are missing a key piece of the gospel. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And look, this is what he says is the most important part of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So in our text, Paul reminds the Corinthians and he reminds us that the full message of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins and that God through his power raised him back from the dead on the third day. Paul is preaching and teaching us that you cannot separate the two in terms of significance and importance, that you cannot divorce the, the, the crucifixion from the resurrection when we speak about the gospel on which we stand. See, the resurrection proves that Jesus was who he says that he was and can do what he said that he could do. Without it, Jesus, quite frankly, was a liar. But the resurrection shows that he truly is the Son of God, able to forgive sin. And that God is strong enough to bring us new life, not a better version of the life that we are currently living, but new life in Jesus. The next thing that we see in our text about why the resurrection matters so much is that the resurrection of Christ saves. The resurrection of Christ saves. Look at what Paul writes in verse 17. This, this whole chapter is, is so important. It's so beautiful. I encourage you this week to go home, study through it, because it is just a beautiful anthem of why the resurrection matters. And, and I don't think that there's a more important verse in this entire section than verse 17. This is what Paul writes. He says, and if Christ has not been raised then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith means nothing and you are still dead in your sins. One of the things that I look forward to um, each week when we gather together is sharing in communion. Uh, communion to me is such a beautiful reminder of how Jesus gave himself on the cross for us. Communion is such a, a beautiful picture of the unity that we have in Christ through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But I'll be honest, most of the times as I'm taking communion and I'm kind of reflecting, I'm, I'm thinking about Jesus' death on the cross, the, the punishment that he took on my 
behalf. And certainly the death of Christ is worth focusing on. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 that it's through Jesus' death on the cross that we have been justified, and that, that we have been made just as if we have never sinned before. It's on the cross that Jesus paid the price for our sin that we deserve to pay, that he was the substitute for us. But by raising Jesus from the dead, God declares his satisfaction and approval of the payment that Jesus made of our sin on our behalf on the cross. Without the cross, there would be no forgiveness of sin. But without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. Without the resurrection, Jesus was just another person willing to die for a noble cause. The empty grave is proof that Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. It is the empty grave that gives us the hope and the assurance of our salvation. I was talking about this with a friend of mine several years ago uh, about, you know, we kind of were just talking about how the cross, it's, it's interesting that the cross is the emblem that Christians have clung to through the years uh, because it's, the, the cross is something that thousands of people um, were executed on by the Romans, but only one of them has an empty tomb. <laughs> only one of them came back from the dead. And my friend Dan said, yeah, the only reason why Christians wear crosses around their neck is because empty tombs aren't quite as fashionable. <laughs> and I think there's some truth to that. The point is, is that they're both important. The, the, the cross absolutely is important, but it is the resurrection that gives us the hope and the assurance and the confidence we have in our faith and our salvation. And finally, the resurrection of Christ is the basis of our future hope. The resurrection of Christ is the basis of our future hope. I, I don't think it's any stretch at all to say that without the resurrection, we have no hope, whether it be now or for the future. Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians to validate the truth of the resurrection. There were people within this early church that were starting to, to kind of promote and, and preach this idea of, no, there's no way that the resurrection could have happened. Have you ever seen anybody come back from the dead? I haven't either. And so how, how do we know that this actually happened? And maybe it's really not that important anyway. There are people who believe that in the church then. There are people who still believe that in the church today. There are some who believe that the resurrection wasn't actually a physical, real-life, bodily resurrection, and that, you know, maybe what this means is it's just a spiritual resurrection, and that the, the morals and the teachings of Jesus just kind of live on inside of his believers, and that's what the resurrection is. And, and Paul's calling them out on this and saying, nah, Quite honestly, that's heresy. If that's all it was, then none of this matters. If there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. If there is no resurrection, we have no hope for eternity. If the resurrection didn't happen, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. In verse 19, he says, if for only this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. I want to pause right there because this is an important part that Paul mentions in here, that without the resurrection, he's looking at the church and saying, we're a bunch of fools. What are we doing if a real bodily resurrection didn't happen? And I think that we miss the importance of this sometimes. You see, the life that Jesus calls us to as believers is 
is a life that takes up its cross and follows him. The life that Jesus calls us to as his followers is a life of self-sacrifice for the kingdom of God. It is a life that does not cling to our own comforts or security, that does not cling to those things in this world that might bring us comfort and security. Instead, we are willing to give both of those things up for the sake of the gospel and for others. Jesus does not call us to a comfortable life. He calls us to a life of self-sacrifice. The life that Jesus calls us to is to lay down our life here for others and for the kingdom and for the gospel. Sometimes putting ourselves in hard and uncomfortable situations because it's worth it for others to know the hope of Jesus and to do so with the promise of eternal life with him. There are some dear friends uh, that, that they... They were very successful in their, in their careers and kind of reached a point where they were able to retire early. And, and so they, they took early retirement and there was just an unsettling within them. And they knew that there was, there was something more. And so they went onto the mission field as late in life missionaries. They actually uh, left everything behind and went and served in a closed country where if it was found out that they were um, you know, Christians, let alone missionaries, then they would be immediately kicked out of the country, if not worse. And they gave their life to that work for several years, made a real impact in the ministry that they worked in. And, and then they kind of got to a point where they said, okay, maybe now it's time to go back. They had adult children, they had several grandkids. And so they thought maybe now it's time to go back to the US and just kind of retire so that we can spend our final days with our, with our family. And, and we got to know them during that time. And for the first year or so, they, they were enjoying it. But it was around that point where we started to notice that there was an unsettling within their spirit. And it wasn't too long after that, they came to us and they said, yeah, we can't do this anymore. We're going back to the mission field. We're, we're going back there. Some of their team members um, had been busted. Somebody gave them away. And so they had been um, taken out of the country. And that, that work was just weighing on their heart for those people to know the good news of Jesus. They couldn't sleep at night. And so they said, we've got to go back. And so as they went and they started telling their friends and their family, a lot of the reaction we got, they got was, what are you doing? Like, aren't you gonna miss your grandkids? Aren't you gonna miss all of this? And, and the response is, yeah, we are. And I'll never forget what Carol said to me as she was recounting all of this. She said, listen, we're going to have all of eternity to spend with our grandkids. The kingdom work needs to be done now. And they went back to the mission field. And the world would look at that and say, what are you doing? Look at everything that you're missing out on. But my friends would look and say, no, look at everything we're going to gain. They believe in the resurrection. And Paul is telling us that if you truly believe in the resurrection, then it absolutely changes everything. Paul says in verse 19 that if there is no resurrection, then we're all just a bunch of fools who be, should be pitied amongst all people, and that this life is it, and we're not making the most of it. But he goes on in verse 20, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Because Jesus is alive, we have hope if we have placed our faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. 
We have hope that we will be raised from this life and spend eternity with him. We have hope that one day all of our earthly pain, all of our earthly sacrifices will be more than made up for as we rest in the arms of our heavenly father and his love and his grace. Paul goes on later and he says in verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal, meaning this is a glimpse of the end times, the culmination of all things. He says, our response in that moment will be death has been swallowed up in victory and we will sing together, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And then he closes with these words in verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Because of the hope that we have in the resurrection, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Because Christ has been risen, we have assurance that our labor for God and for the kingdom is not pointless or without purpose, but will matter for all of eternity. The resurrection changes everything. As we close this morning, let me ask you this. How would your life be different if you really believed in the resurrection? And what would you do differently today if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive and because of that, this life and this world is not the end for us? Maybe for you, you would be willing to take a step of faith that you've never been willing to take before because you know that whatever you lose in this life will be more than made up for in the next. Maybe for you, it would give you the boldness and the confidence you need to share your faith with your friends or with your coworker. Maybe for you, knowing the resurrection is true is the thing that would say, I'm ready to start following Jesus. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.